Happy 4th of July weekend. Happy back to end to end for two weeks again. So we're back here. Me and Joe are with you. And we're going to be talking about much hockey news because we missed a lot over the last two weeks. Especially a Stanley Cup Finals update between your Montreal Canadiens and the Tampa Bay Lightning who are just powerhouses. And they're showing us why they're a powerhouse. Unfortunately, those Tampa Bay Lightning are up 3-0 in the Stanley Cup Finals versus the Montreal Canadiens. That's pretty weird to say. No one would have thought that would have happened at all because A, there's two Eastern Conference teams in the finals. And B, we didn't think the Canadians got there. But there's been many words thrown out there about the Montreal Canadiens and their performance in this series. But if you had to give one surprised, shocked, or saw it coming for this three-nothing uh, lead in the series for Lightning, which one of them uh, is that? Yeah, I would probably <clears throat> I would probably say surprised. I wouldn't say saw it coming because they showed all playoffs long that they could compete with top teams like they'd literally just beat Vegas who were tied for first overall in the regular season so going into the series I thought they had a, a decent chance but Tampa is just way too damn good and I, I can't even be mad at the fact that they might get swept tomorrow night just for the fact that this is probably the best team ever in the salary cap era like I don't even think it's really close like if you're just looking at the roster itself you have like Literally four first ballot Hall of Famers right now. If they retired tomorrow after they won the cup, they would be first ballot Hall of Famers like Kucherov, Stamkos, Hedman, Vasilevsky. Yeah. And then you have a guy in Braden Point who's like in a couple of years will be in that echelon as well, just solely based on his playoff performance, which is historic to say the <laughs> least. Um, but yeah, I am su- I am surprised that they are up 3 nothing. Um, they, uh, they, they dominated Montreal in game one. Montreal was the far better team in game two, but Vasilevsky, as I just said, there's a reason why that team is so good. And he's a big part of that. It stole game two for them, making over 40 saves. And then game three was kind of just a terrible start. It was two, nothing in the first three or four minutes. Um, and it, it was just too tough to recover from that because the, way, the thing with Tampa that they learned ever since that loss to Columbus when they got swept in the first round is that they could play like all different styles of hockey. They could play like the Islanders. They could play like Tampa. They could play like um, like Montreal. They could clog that neutral zone if they need to. They could run and gun. They could go on. They could cycle, make rush chances. Like they play, they can play so many different ways because of how the roster is built that it's so tough to counter them. And the fact that they beat the Islanders in seven, Montreal plays a very similar style to how they got here, like the Islanders. Mm-hmm. Very strong defensively for the most part and trying and limiting chances and playing a uh, very strong in the neutral zone. Tampa just dealt with that, and they can play like that too. So, again, I'm surprised that it is 3-0. I think it should be 2-1 Tampa uh, before game four. But, I mean, I think... They just ran out of gas, Montreal. <laughs> they were just playing like too well, like above their expectations. And it just kind of caught up to them against the best team in the league. Yeah, I, I, I sort of agree with that. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit surprised, though. I think that's the word I would use for this series, especially because, like you just said, the way Montreal came in this series, they were the best team in the Eastern Conference, basically, on that side of the on that side of the conference, right? So. I mean, you can't really just call them frauds or like jokes when they come to the finals because they're there. It doesn't matter. They're there and they're playing in the Stanley Cup final. The way they're playing is not very great. I mean, this is like one of the series I've watched this whole Stanley Cup playoffs where 
that where that one team makes all the mistakes and then the other team just keeps on and keeps on burying the puck after that yeah. mistake. You saw the Edmondson one. You saw basically every goal that happened in that third game. And that's 6-3 or 6-4 win for the Tampa Lightning. Every turnover was in the back of the net, and that's what they're doing, the Tampa Lightning. They're capitalizing on whatever Montreal gives them, right? So we'll see what happens in game four. I hope the Habs can win it, and then maybe Tampa can win on home ice. But, you know, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, that's the word I would use. I would use surprised. And another surprise is Carey Price. I know it's not his fault, but, I mean, yeah, it's tough right now. Yeah, he, he hasn't played well this series, but I can't say anything negative about him. He's the reason they're here in the first place. Um, it just sucks. Like, it's just, it just feels like they ran out of gas. It really yeah. does. Like, that beating Vegas probably took, like, so much out of them. Just for the fact, because Vegas is such a good team, um, and they—I don't know—they just—they're—they're not—they're not built for this. Tampa is, and that's why they're defending Stanley Cup champions, and they're ninety-nine percent most likely to go back to back. So <laughs> there is that one percent because there has been one other comeback from three-zero down in the finals, and that was your Toronto Maple Leafs in nineteen forty-two. <laughs> so they got to keep that moral strength going. Uh, but for real, like Tampa's going to go back to back. Um, they're just, like I said, they're probably from the whole roster down, the coaching staff, the management, the best team in the salary cap era. And I don't really think it's close. Yeah. They have a strong team because like, like you said before, they can play all styles of hockey across the NHL. They can play every team style and develop and adapt to other teams that play them. So we'll see what happens yeah. in that series. Con Smythe though, who's your winner? Um, you know, obviously Montreal can still, you know, reverse sweep this. But, I mean, I think the favorite to get the Smythe is one of the Tampa players. So who do you see that going to? Uh, it's between two Russians, and that's Vasilevsky or Kucherov for me. I don't know which one it's going to be because Kucherov <laughs> is leading the league by a mile in points. So it might be him because he, he was a pretty good contender to win it last year as well. But Vasilevsky, like he's played every second of the run again, just like last year. Um, his goals against, I think, is like two for the whole playoffs, if not lower, which is ridiculous. Again, like I think he had this very similar stats to last year's run as well. So it's like one of those two guys deserves it. But yeah. you could literally flip a coin. Like it's like if Vasilevsky gets another shutout or something <laughs> in game four, then he'll get it. But if Kucherov gets three points like he did in game one, I think, then he'll mm -hmm. get it. So those are my two picks. Yeah, I think I have to lean to two of those guys. I mean, if Braden Point was still scoring and getting more points, I think that he'd be in the front runner for that. But I'd probably say like Kucherov probably deserved it last year, but mm -hmm. Hedman obviously had that unbelievable scoring touch in the playoffs, and he was a defenseman. So mm -hmm. I'd probably say Kucherov now just because the what he's doing, he just came back and – Right in the playoffs, he just looks like a normal Kucherov. So I'd have to probably go with him, but Vashleski ain't a bad choice. Yeah. All right. So that's the Stanley Cup Finals news. We'll get to more after, obviously, if Tampa wins on Monday or they keep going the distance. So we'll keep you tabs on that. One more thing, or not one more thing, a few things that happened. Basically, this is the offseason for other teams who are eliminated in the playoffs. And this is the, the Chicago Blackhawks. So they've had a lot of news surrounding them with the allegations that happened back in 2010, but we won't really get into that right now. Uh, a player who was on that 2010 team and through that dynasty team, uh, Duncan Keith is on the market for the Blackhawks. And he wants to, he said he wants to be either traded to the Western Canadian uh, team or a Pacific Northwest team. So a lot of people are saying Seattle, Vancouver, 
uh, Edmonton or Winnipeg, where he's from. Where do you see him going? And uh, what do you see the return on a guy for, I think, two more years at 5.5? Okay, so the the thing with this is that it kind of like came out of nowhere. Like We would have thought that Duncan Keith would have been maybe traded a few years ago when Chicago was kind of going down. But now, like you said, he only has two years left on his deal at like five over just over $5 million. And like, I honestly thought he was going to retire Chicago Blackhawk at this point of his career because I believe he's 38 years old now. Um, it's it's good, like you said. So Canadian team or Pacific Northwest? So I think it's going to be a Canadian team because he is from uh, Western Canada. So in my opinion, this might be like kind of controversial, but I think the Jets should make a move for Keith. Um, he's clearly not the same that as he used to be when he was in his prime, or even just like two to three years ago, but. The Jets' defense is so weak and very inexperienced that I feel like a guy like Keith, who's from Winnipeg, could really kind of be like a leader on that back end. He doesn't have to play a ton of minutes. He could be the fourth D on that team because like they really need help in that aspect so instead of having to rely on Hellebuck every night. I think the Jets should make a move for him if Chicago retains half his salary. Yeah, That's the only way that would work, and I feel like it would be a decent fit there. I know like uh, Winnipeg's in the market more for right-handed defensemen and Keith left-handed, but I think just for like a veteran leadership to help with that young kind of group with Morrissey still relatively young, you got Pionk there, you have uh, Vili Henola. Yeah. Yeah. So he's there. He's still trying to like make a name for himself. So you have some young guys there that Keith could definitely mentor and like stabilize the top six a little bit. Yeah. No, I could definitely see that. That's what's going to happen. And apparently the front runners, the Edmonton Oilers, and that would be a disaster for one reason. <laughs> How the hell are they going to eat the contract? And even if they eat 50% of a salary, that's still 2.7 on the mm-hmm. cap. And I don't think they can use 2.7 on a 38-year-old defenseman that is clearly declining in his game, but obviously could have still a good year and mentor some guys on that team. Just And another thing is, like, what the hell are our teams giving up for Duncan Keith? Are they giving up a prospect? Are they giving up a high pick? That's the thing that's going to be in question for a few weeks or months or however long it takes to, for Duncan Keith to get, to get traded. But the thing is with this Keith trade, the people and the GMs have to be very, very cautious and very smart on this because it is two years. And even if you're eating 50% off, it's 2.7 for the next year, next two years of a flat cap in the NHL. So you really have to be smart with this decision. On the Steve Dangle podcast, they said if Edmonton gets him, it's a very big disaster for them because – they already have defensemen that can easily play. And, you know, is Bouchard going to send the minors another year? Is Broberg going to play? And is, is Clefbaum even going to play another NHL game? So mm-hmm. if they're going to pair him with a young guy like Ethan Bear, and I heard Caleb Jones might go the other way to Chicago, what is happening there? So I, I don't know. So that'd be awful for them. Caleb Jones is like, they need to keep him. He's a very solid defenseman. Like you said about Clefbaum, like no one really knows what his status is at right now. And then, like, Evan Bouchard, he was, like, their first-round pick a few years ago, I believe, in 2018. And he's got to start getting some minutes now because it looks like Tyson Berry or uh, Adam Larson is probably out the door. Um, We're going to talk about another signing they made to their forward group shortly, but they really got to, like, look at their defense to see, like, who's going to stay and who's going to go. Yeah, it's it's an underrated big offseason for the Oilers. It's not really like make it or break it because obviously they still have McDavid and dry settle to carry them. But like it's an off season where like you have to be really, really smart with what you're going to do because if you let one of Larson or Barry and they 
and then the, your decor really falls off the map, it's because of those two missing pieces that were gone. So we'll see what happens with the Oilers. I guess we could go right into the next news that we were talking about, and that's that forward. Ryan Nugent Hopkins re-ups eight years, A via $5.1 million. And I think I know your thoughts, but I mean, might as well stay on the pod. Yeah, so I like the term. I'm not the term. <laughs> I like the number that he got because he's actually making less than what he just currently made, which was six million for like basically the rest of his career, which is a win for Edmonton. They got him at almost a million lower than what he was making. However, I don't like the eight years, but I feel like to get the AAV that low, it had to be the full eight years. I mean, he's not super old. I think he's 28 now, RNH. So. It could be bad, like in the last couple of years of the deal, but he's still like a pretty skilled player. Like he didn't really have a great year this year. And remember those reports? Like he was uh, apparently asking for like dry sidle money. Yeah. That was absurd. That was like, probably yeah. on short term, clearly. Yeah, like maybe two years or something. Yeah. But yeah, um, overall, I think it's a solid because they need him. He's their third best forward, so they needed to re-sign him. And the number is not bad at all. It's more the term that I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, and we were seeing another deal in the NHL that it got term as well. We'll talk about that right after this. But with Nuge, solid player. I mean, he's going to get back to the form where he was basically McDavid's shotgun mate and getting like 60 points a year just in his sleep. So I think he'll get back to that for the next few years. But once it reaches year four, five, six, seven, eight, oof, I don't know how that eight years is going to do. Because in my opinion, the only players who should get eight years are like that elite franchise player who should get eight years, in my opinion. But you know, you're going to hand it out to Nuge, might as well. I guess you needed him, but yeah, I guess the whole tactic of the thing was to get his AAV low so they could sign a bit more guys and help the team around. So we'll see what happens with Nuge. I'll, I believe he'll be back next year, just like his normal self getting 60 points a year. Uh, so you can go to the next signing in Minnesota, and it's not so, Karel Kaprizov. No, it's not. So this one was very surprising for the whole contract. So Joel Erickson Eck, who was – had a career year this year. I believe he's like 24, 25 now. Just got a massive eight-year deal with Minnesota with an AAV of $5.25 million. So this guy, how many points did he get this year? Like 35? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, the, so a guy who had a career year in a sh- shortened season, 35 points, somehow managed to get himself an eight-year deal worth over $5 million as a, as a two-way center mostly defensive and not offensive <laughs> so uh considering that uh philip Deneau is a ufa he probably sees this deal and just got like a massive boner <laughs> he is not he is definitely not getting that in montreal that's for sure um but that that's just a crazy amount for a guy that's like a more of a shutdown center, like literally a philip Deneau, but a little bit younger but he, he still hasn't had the stats that Deneau has because Deneau has like a couple 40, 45-point seasons before this past year where he really struggled. Um, so, I mean, Ericsson X really good, but he's definitely not worth this much for that much term. That's for sure. Yeah, no, yeah. Definitely a surprise. I mean, to Minnesota, Minnesota fans on Twitter, they don't seem that surprised and faced by this because obviously like, he could still grow. He's only 24 years old. But at the same time, it's like, he actually had 30 points this year, 19 goals, which is pretty good in a 56-game season. I mean, 20 goals, not bad. But when you're doing it for the first time, I think it's very cautious to give out this contract like that. And that's, this is one team where they have to be cautious of, uh, cautious of that because obviously you don't know what Kirill Kaprizov is asking for. And then you're probably losing a defenseman in expansion draft. So that's money off the books there. But 
there's a lot of contracts that are long-term tied up in this team. One of them being Spurgeon and now one of them being Joel Eriksson-Eck. And they still got a guy like Ryan Suter, Zach Parise on the books. So it's very weird to see them just not throw around cash like this, but like just the term is like, wow, I mean, I don't know how you're doing this again. So yeah, uh, basically a a little bit more offensive Philip Deneau, not much, but getting 5.1 right off the right off the bat is weird. Yeah, like for like yeah, like you said one year of all of a sudden like Minnesota's really good. Like did he he didn't play with Kaprasov all year? No, right? I don't think so. Okay, so like the 30 points is pretty valid, I guess, but still it's it's only 30. Like you would have probably got 45 over the course of 82 <laughs> games. So like is that worth 5 million over 5 million? I don't think so. Um he is a good player though, but man, that I would if I'm a wild fan, I would not be happy about that. Yeah, not if also I'm a wild fan, I'm really scared to see what they do with other contracts. I know maybe Kaprasov may be worth a thing he might get, but other players, if they want to upgrade their team, it's gonna be very scary to see what they're gonna be doing. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. They got a few prospects on the pipeline. They also might be trading for Jack Geico, so we'll see what happens there. So another trade. In that division, the Nashville Predators, or they're in Minnesota's usual division in the Central, but they went and traded Victor Arvidsson to the Los Angeles Kings for a second in 2021 and a third in 2022. Uh, when I first saw this, when I first saw the uh, Arvidsson was going to be traded today and they didn't know what team, or actually, sorry, I think they did know what team, and it was LA. I didn't think it would be this little of a price, maybe a prospect going the other way, but what are your initial thoughts on the trade and now what do you see it as? Yeah, it's kind of puzzling for both sides. Um, from Nashville's perspective, they traded a guy that was, he had a down year for sure, but he is one of their most consistent players for like most of his tenure in Nashville. And he's still on a pretty good contract with three years left at just under four and a half, I think, which is pretty good. He's still in his prime. He's 28. Um, and they basically gave him away for like a couple picks and the guy could bounce back next year and score like 25 to 30 goals. He's, he scored 34 before in this league. I'm not saying he's going to do that next year, but he's most likely going to be playing with Anze Kopitar in LA for the, uh, for the most part. So only getting a second this year and a third next year, I feel like is not a good return. I know his, his stock wasn't as high as it used to be, but I think like, um, they wanted to get rid of him because they weren't going to protect him in the Seattle expansion. They didn't want to lose it for nothing, but they also didn't get that much for him in return. And then quickly on the LA side, um, they're a rebuilding team and they traded for a winger in his prime. So like, I don't know what they're trying to do in LA. <laughs> like, I know they didn't give up that, that many picks again, but it just, it doesn't make sense for like how many prospects the Kings have, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And kind of the direction of the team right now. Like you have your few veterans there, Quick, Kopitar, Doughty, Brown. But the rest of the guys are basically all young. And then you added like a 28-year-old winger in the top six for, I guess, scoring. But, <laughs> I mean, it's just a weird trade overall for me. Yeah, it is weird. It just came really out of nowhere when Friedman sent Arvidsson's on the move to LA. So I was like, okay, sure. We'll see what the turn is. But on that note of the Los Angeles Kings side of it, they have young players that want to get in the lineup. I think that was the problem with LA this year. They had too many young guys playing in the lineup. And you needed some veteran presence. I know they had Kopitar, they have Doty, they have Jonathan Quick. That's pretty much enough because they've won two cups. 
But I think they need an older guy. I think they need a prime in their prime guy who like Arvidsson that can score because that was their that was one of their issues, the Kings this year, besides Kopitar and Brown being the players they were and some other guys there. But I think their problem was there we they were too young. And you know, they could be in on Eichel as well. They could get him and they have the assets to do it. They have many more assets than just the second and third losing up for Arvidsson. So we'll see what happens on that Eichel front. But going to Nashville side of it, it's just like a guy you've been like you've kept him for the last two years. He hasn't had a, he has had two really down years the last two years. And, you know, I can see why you kind of moved him. And the health has been a very bad, bad, bad concern for them with Arvidsson. So I can see why you kind of moved on quickly from him. But this is a guy who, man, he got back to back 61 point years when the national fighters were good. So I'd like to see if Ali can get back to a playoff team and see how Arvidsson can deal with this. So I think the trade is, I think it's fine for Nashville if they're going to lose a guy in expansion for free and get a second and third round pick for him, especially if he can't get back to the 61-30 goal form he once was. So, I mean, I'm fine with the trade for both sides. Just like if Arvidsson can get back to that form, Ali won the trade. That's my thing. So, Yeah, for sure. One more little signing here before we get to coaching news around the league because that's been very much in the last few weeks. Uh, Wayne Simmons re-ups two years with the Leafs and 900K. Nothing much to it. Yeah. Not much, Not much to else it. to say, like you said. Not much to it. Uh, now we'll go to coaching. And this is the big thing around the NHL. So I guess we'll go to the first one. I, I, we'll go to the first coach in this team's uh, history. So go ahead and say it. All right. So the Seattle Kraken revealed who their first head coach in franchise history is going to be. And it is Dave Haxall, who was an assistant with the Toronto Maple Leafs the last three seasons. Yeah, something like that. Two, three, yeah. Yeah, two to three seasons. He was, uh, I believe, the defense coach for the Leafs as an assistant. So he was also previously head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. So Seattle officially made this uh, decision. They unveiled him, I believe, last week or a week and a half ago. So now they have their GM. They have their coach. They have everything in place ready for the expansion draft, which I believe is in about three weeks or so. So it's going to be exciting times for Seattle. And not so exciting times for the other 30 NHL teams because they have to figure out who's going to be protected and who's going to be exposed. And there could be some potential uh, side moves like how Vegas had back uh, when they were getting introduced to the league. Yep. So uh, if there was a coaching market out there, and there is, Dave Axel will not be the first guy I'd sign as my first head coach. But here we are talking about him as the head coach for Seattle, which no one really saw that coming. We saw Talkett in the mix. We've seen Babcock for a while. I don't think that was really uh, there, I guess, as your first head coach with a misfit of young guys and players on your team. But Dave Haxtell, I mean, it's not terrible. I guess like it's your first head coach. He's a decent head coach with younger players, I guess, development-wise. But, I mean, that's a weird decision for me to hire as your first head coach. Not really knowing he knows him, but, you know, we'll see what happens with Seattle. We've seen... It happened with Vegas. Gerard Gallant, I know he had a bit, of, a bit of a bigger pedigree, I guess, with the Florida Panthers. But, you know, we've seen stranger things happen. They went to the finals in the first year, Vegas. I'm not saying that's going to happen. But, you know, maybe Haxtell can get these guys on the road and uh, get the players developed and all that stuff. So, I mean, decent hire for them. It's not the first guy I'd pick out of that coaching market that's out there. But, you know, Dave Haxtell, head coach, first head coach of the Seattle Kraken. Next one. I don't even know how to say this guy's name, <laughs> property last name, but Andre Tournier, I think is his name. Yeah. Head coach 
in Arizona. Uh, they recently parted ways with Rick Tockett, which was a phenomenal coach for their organization. And now they moved to the former, I think, world junior coach for Team Canada last two years or year. And he won the world cha- world junior, sorry, two years ago uh, versus Russia in the finals. And then last year he kind of choked versus the States. I'm not saying he's going to do that in Arizona because – well, actually, he might do it because their team's really bad. <laughs> so, uh, Andre Tourney, head coach in Arizona. I mean, the report was out there that he'd be the head coach of them, but I didn't really think that was really true. But here we are, and it is. Yeah, so this one, like you said, is he did he did win gold, but then he choked, like you said. So, I mean, he, does, uh, he doesn't have any NHL uh, mm. experience. He's just been mostly with Hockey Canada for, like, most of his career and, like, the Ottawa 67s OHL team. So this is his first NHL gig, and like you said, Arizona is kind of all over the place in terms of like how the roster is and the management and all that. So I have really have no idea how he's going to do with Arizona. Um, like you said, he works well with young players. They got some like they got Chickren there. Keller's still relatively young. Um, you know, they got Brett Howden. I think that's his name, or Barrett Hayden. Um, that's uh, hopefully going to be playing next year. He was their, their fifth overall pick a few years ago. Um, you know, Arizona, they're just kind of all over the place, like I said. So we'll see what happens with Tournier. Yeah, and this is a guy who was supposed to coach the 2022 World Juniors, uh, the team there, and the World Championship for 2022. And I believe, I don't know if it was him. It might be someone else. Yeah, no, it is him. It is him. He was supposed to... Well, actually, he probably still can. He was the, the 2022 Olympic coach. So I don't know if that's still in effect because he's in the NHL. But, I mean, obviously, NHL coaches can still coach the uh, team. But he's going to be one of the coaches on the bench for Team Canada as well for the Olympics. And we'll get to that uh, as well with Gary Bettman's press conferences because that ain't going well, apparently. So we'll see what happens. I believe Tournier will be on the bench still. So. Uh, Arizona head coach, also many, many Team Canada team head coaches for Andre Tourney. So congrats to him there. One more, the interim head coach on the end of the year, Don Granado of the Buffalo Sabres has officially uh, took the tag off that, and he's the head coach of the Buffalo Sabres. I don't know how long the contract is, but it doesn't matter. Uh, he actually had a pretty good end to the year for the Buffalo Sabres. I'm not like they didn't really go on a winning streak, but like he was a solid head coach. Yeah, like a lot of the younger players that were awful, like really kind of stepped up. Like Casey Middlestat looked like literally like he was on his last legs, even though he's only like 22. But like right when Granado took over, he kind of like took off. Like he was really good in the 25 or so games that he was there, Granado. So they probably saw that they desperately needed to see some better play from their young guys. Even like Rasmus Dalin played a little bit better as well. So they probably were encouraged by that Sabres management, Kevin Adams. So they officially took the interim uh, tag off of him and made him the head coach. I believe it's a three-year deal uh, for Don Granado. So good for him. He kind of he made the younger players play a little bit better. Um, but unfortunately, uh, their superstar and captain is looks like most likely he'll be off the team uh, this offseason. And that is Jack Eichel, of course. So I don't even think Eichel played one game for Granado because he got hurt in like February. But uh, it seems like the Sabres are and him are uh, reaching a decision on what to do with his uh, herniated disc in his neck, I believe. So Eichel, of course, wants to get surgery, but the Sabres are saying he should rehab it. 
Um, and if they're, if any team's going to make a trade for him, they have to know what the hell is going to happen here, like what the recovery is and all that. So um, it seems like they're reaching a decision soon. It just boggles my mind that they're still deciding whether or not this guy needs surgery or not. I'm pretty sure a Jack Eichel wants surgery. There's no question. And the Buffalo Sabres are clearly holding him back from doing that. And you had a guy who was out basically the full year and you didn't do anything with him to help him in his health. And now we are sitting here, maybe not even having a trade for the next couple months because of this. Yeah. It's, it's really been a disaster. Like they should, this should have been decided before their season ended, not in July when their season has been over for almost two months. So like, I don't really know what, what to say about that. Like, I don't know. It's just such a mess there. Like they, he wants to leave Eichel. They're willing to move him. But again, his value is severely diminished because no other GM knows what the hell is going on with his health. <laughs> and Yeah, and there's no one at fault but the Buffalo Sabres there. Yeah, for sure. Like, I don't know why this took so long. Like they were, they were out probably 10 months ago. <laughs> like, Basically. <laughs> and now they decide that he needs surgery. Like, I don't know. And if he gets traded, he ain't, he's not even going to start the year with this new team. No, nope. like, he won't be over there for opening that up. If he gets the surgery, then a hundred percent no. If they rehab, then maybe because that's still another three months away. But yeah. still, like most likely not starting on opening night for the that, his new team if he gets traded. That's just really dumb on the Buffalo Sabres. I'm sorry. Like they've done this in the past with other players, and they're still doing it again with their basically their superstar who they really need for success. And obviously, he doesn't want to be part of that. So. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll keep on that Ica watch basically every week. It seems that there's news that comes out about him, so we'll keep tabs on that for the rest of the offseason and where he can go. We'll maybe write an article on that as well. Yep. All right, so something Jack Ica wasn't in, the NHL awards. <laughs> in the 2020-21 season, we had a list of names that won their first awards, and I've been there uh, for most of the time, which is one guy who won two. And I guess we'll start with the ones that were announced last week that we missed. So we'll go from top to bottom. Calder, Kirill, KHL, Kaprizov, we wrote that down there. He <laughs> won his first Calder trophy and his only Calder trophy you can get because that's for the rookies. He has no contract right now, but he was over in Russia and accept that award gladly, and he really deserved that one. Yeah, he was the best rookie this year. Jason Robertson made a good push like halfway in the, halfway to the end of the season, but it was Kaprizov to lose. Like the guy scored literally almost 30 goals in his first NHL season, which was short. And he could have probably got over 40 if it was a full NHL season. So he was just really good this year. He completely revitalized the wild franchise. They made the playoffs. They pushed Vegas to seven games in the first round after being down three, one. So right now we already talked about Minnesota with the Joel Erickson neck deal and how that wasn't really a great move by them in terms of money and years. But Overall, the wild things are starting to look up for them a little bit. Like you said, they got some prospects going as well, like Marco Rossi, Liam uh, Boldy, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, um, Kaprasov, he hopefully, if wild fans are praying right now that he resigns in Minnesota, I believe he will. I don't think he's going back to the KHL, but very well deserved for Kaprasov. Yeah, and you could go ahead and do the next one. All right, so this was the Ted Lindsay Award. So this is voted on by the players as the best overall player in the league. And no surprise, the winner for this one was Connor McDavid. Um, this wasn't unanimous, but uh, this was, he was clearly the best player in the league this year. 105 points in 56 games or 55 games. 
which is absolutely absurd, as we've said many times already on this podcast. So not much else to say about that one. No, literally not much else. He'll be nominated for the rest of his career, I assume. Yeah, probably. At least till he's in his 30s. Yeah, 100%. Um, a guy who's in his 30s that probably won't be nominated for this trophy. Again, the Vesna trophy, and that's Marc-Andre Fleury taking that home over Andre Vashklevsky and Philip Grubauer. And this was a tight, tight race. If you actually looked at the voting and the first place votes, second place votes, third place votes, Marc-Andre Fleury ended up on top because I think he had more second place and third place votes over Vashlevsky. And I'll tell you why. I don't know if you know this. But Vashilevsky, the only reason why Andre Vashilevsky lost is because four general managers across the NHL, because this is voted by the, um, the GMs, four general managers did not have Vashilevsky on their ballot. You're kidding me. No. They did not have him on his, their ballot. So he missed out that. on one, two, three, and that's why he lost to Vesna. What the fuck? How do you not have him on the ballot? The <laughs> guy was borderline the winner. Excuse yep. me? That's the guy why had like a two, two goals against this year. Crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that's why. Because I listened to Steve Dangle podcast, and they actually went through it. And then I think Steve Dangle did it by himself, like the like the actual adding up the numbers. And Vashlevsky was missing on four of the other GM's ballots. So um, Mike Smith was nominated. So maybe Ken Holland had something to do with that. Oh, God. Ken Holland, her tire already, dude. <laughs> so, but I, I, you cannot say Flurry didn't deserve it, right? He got the vote, so. Yeah, he. I would say he deserved it, but Vasilevsky is probably neck and neck. Like it was a coin flip for me, but Flurry, like at this point in his career, he was exceptional for his age. Mm-hmm. That's I think the reason why he got it because of just how good he played for his age and like the fact that he never won it before. And Vasilevsky, the guy's gonna be nominated for the next five years uh, at the least. So well deserved for Flurry. Yep, and obviously what happened going into the off season, going into the season. Won the Vesna. So at 36, I believe he is, he's won the Vesna for the first time in his NHL career. Uh, the Norris Trophy now. This was a, I think, I think it was a toss up between three, four, maybe five guys in the NHL, but one guy got it. It was Adam Fox, the New York Rangers. Pretty surprising because this is the first time someone has missed the playoffs and has won this award. And Adam Fox did it. He had a great year. It's, there's no denying that as well. Yeah, he was fantastic this year. He's he's only 23, I believe, so he's got a bright future ahead of him. He was also a very uh, good contender for the, the Calder last year, um, which McCarr won. So Adam Fox, he's obviously like the best uh, Rangers defenseman. Um, and he, he I think he's got one year left on his ECL. He's going to get a big contract when that's over. And you have Jacob Trouba there. He's making $8 million being a pylon, so... I don't know what the Rangers are going to do with when his contract's up, but Adam Fox is a great defenseman. Like you said, first time in NHL history where a defenseman won it but didn't make the playoffs. So that's why I was leaning more on McCarr to win this award. Um, but Fox was d- definitely deserving of it overall. Yep, and then I mentioned last night to our friends that Tyson Berry was also the first player in NHL history, uh, defenseman-wise, that led the uh, – defenseman in points and didn't get a vote <laughs> for the so Norris. They probably just thought, oh, how many points did he get? Oh, well, he played with McDavid and Jarrett <laughs> on the power play, so uh, that basically means nothing. Yeah, basically. So that's clearly why he wasn't nominated. But a few guys that are that were nominated, that I mean, I wouldn't have given them first place votes, but they were up there. I mean, Dougie Hamilton was there, Charlie McAvoy, obviously Victor Hedman was there as well, but 
Shea Theodore was also there. So a, a bit of a guy who I think in the future will definitely be nominated for that one. Maybe not win it, but Adam Fox ends up on top of that uh, list this year. So we'll get to the last one, which we missed out. And this was the biggest award of the night in terms of why it was the biggest. And Connor McDavid takes home this award. Not only did he take home the heart, but he took it home unanimously. And it's the first time since old Edmonton Oilers legend Wayne Gretzky did it. Crazy. Which is crazy, yeah. The, he, that's legendary company for Connor McDavid. And I well, and I said it would be unanimous. Yes, you did. That was, one of, that was one of my spicy meatballs. It would be unanimous. And it actually was. So I was very happy about that because it definitely deserved to be unanimous just based on the, the, the play, the overall play and the numbers he put up. Um, it's tough to just not vote for him for the heart. And I mean, well, like I said, what more can you say about this guy? He's the best player in the league. Most skilled player probably of all time already in terms of just pure skill and speed, what he's able to do with the puck. So just a, a slam dunk uh, winner for this award. Yeah, I said no just specifically on the reason there'd be hero there. That would give one first place vote to another guy. But it was pretty surprising that Matthews was second and McKinnon was third on this board. I believe that was this one, the heart. And Matthews wasn't obviously close because unanimous McDavid, but it was pretty It was pretty nice to see Matthews at second. I thought he was second for sure. I don't even think McKinnon should have been third, to be fully honest with you. I would have put like Marchand or Crosby in the third spot. Like McKinnon just had a McKinnon year. Yeah. Like Matthews had a special goal-scoring season, so I thought he should have been second for sure. That's just me. Yeah. No, for sure. I agree with that. But McDavid takes home unanimously. I don't, I don't know. This might be a hot take, but I don't think he'll do that again. No, I don't think he'll be unanimous again. No, I don't think he can repeat a season like he had (laughs) this year. Like he almost averaged two points a game. So like that would have to be like him next year getting like 160, basically. Then they get out of the realm though. Like, um, I think so. Just because of the fact that, hasn't been done in like it hasn't been done 30 no. years um has never been done back-to-back unanimous it's only been happened one other time that was Gretzky so if Gretzky can't do it more than once I can't see McDavid doing it more than once um but even just the points like I don't think he's gonna get like 160 he could get 130 I think next year if he has a similar year but like with more games and like a lot more travel um it just it's not I don't think it's gonna happen We'll see next year. Stranger things have happened, so we'll see if McDavid get that. But we'll get we'll go through the awards that were we already said on this podcast. But Jack Adams, Rod Brindamore won that. Selkie Barkoff won that. Lady Bing, Jacob Slavin won that. Jim Gregory, Mafia Lou won that. King Clancy, Pekka Rene, Bill Masterson, Oscar Lindblom, and Mark Messier, Patrice Bergeron. So those are all the award winners for this year, and. Basically, pretty much all deserved, all very deserved. Tight races for most of them, but all deserved as well for this NHL award season. We'll get to our awards, and this one is What You Say. So, Jason, what are we playing? What you say. And uh, you thought of this idea, Joe, so you can go ahead and say it. All right. So, just before the Stanley Cup Finals, they obviously do media day the day before the first game. Commissioner Gary Bedman was there, and he was asked about the scrutiny that the refs have faced throughout the playoffs. So good old Gary said this as a response. Let's be clear. Our officials are not only the best hockey officials in the world, they are the best officials in any sport. Our officials have the hardest game to officiate 
because no sport comes close to matching the speed and split-second reaction time required to make or not make hundreds of calls in real time. All right, Gary. Good one, Gary. Jerry, yeah. Uh, that one, was a Jerry, Jerry moment. Gary. Yes, it was. That, <laughs> that's absurd what he said because it's not true. Yeah, I don't think you can agree with that first one. I can agree that it's one of the fastest games on earth, if not the fastest game on earth to referee, but there's also four out there. I know linesmen can't do call the job as well, but I mean, like, when when are we going to come to a point where it's just like you can't be delusional, right? Like, I just, like, this is why I don't get, why are these refs so protected? Like, yeah. They they literally have the same refs for like twenty to thirty years, like whatever Daniel Rourke and like Chris Lee, all these guys. Like, did they did they not see the Vegas Montreal series? How bad that officiating was. Like, guys could have seriously gotten hurt. There was a lot of missed calls for hits from behind boarding, the Perry high stick that we all know cut his nose open. It's just like, like, how can you flat out say that when that literally happened like a few weeks earlier or like a week earlier? Like, it's not the best in the world. These guys get protected way too much. Imagine if the refs had to speak to the media like the players and coaches do after, after like getting embarrassed or something. They don't do that. They're, the, the league protects them so much. For what reason? Yeah. They get paid a ton. Like, I don't get it. Like. If, if they're going to decide outcomes of games sometimes with all these power plays or missed calls and guys getting hurt here and there, mm-hmm. they have to answer to what they saw on the play. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah, and obviously, like, you get paid to do your job. If you don't do your job properly, well, I mean, it's a stretch to say you're going to get fired, but you're going to get a warning, right? Like, you're going to get talked to, I guess. Maybe they do. I don't know. We don't know. But what we see is Gary Bettman defending his NHL referees and linesmen constantly every year, almost every time he steps up to the microphone, it's being asked, uh, do referees have to answer for their, or answer, yeah, answer for their mistakes. And the basically answer was no, Gary Bettman said they are the best official in the world, if not the sport. So don't know what he's talking about, but uh, sure. Go ahead, Gary, whatever you want to say, because I think that's, and that's the problem with the NHL. I think that's why the, referee never the referee position never develops because like people like gary bettman just keep defending it yeah it's like the same guys are trotted out there every year exactly and you know there's some new referees obviously they're trotted out there but like it's the same like story if 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 gary bettman is saying they don't do a bad job they're not going to change the way they ref if they're doing a good job in his mind right like they're not going to change the way they do things so yeah and like this year i don't know if it's social media getting better twitter getting better or it's getting recognized more but this year was really bad for refereeing. Terrible. Probably the worst playoffs I've seen, just overall abysmal. Mm, yep. And the only way it's getting better is if Gary Bettman can speak on why they need to be better, but he hasn't yet. And that's it on the refereeing front, but he also said something else that's not going to be in the what you say, but he also said the 2022 Olympics, the Winter Olympics, that for that matter, is still a work in progress. And that is really, really tough to hear. That's just embarrassing at this point. It's everyone wants to go, but the NHL because they're cheap. It's like what seven, six months away, and we haven't figured something out yet. I know. Like when is it? Like yeah, next February. So like, like figure it out, man. Like holy, everyone wants to go, but you're like, eh. Like, it's like dude, come on. 
like I know the money factor is there too, but you're also I'm not saying you're gonna make it back, but you'll definitely have a watch party of some sort for every nation that's gonna be in it, especially with NHL players. Because the 2018 uh, 2018 Olympics, obviously the Olympic athletes of Russia won that, but I don't think I watched a full game. I didn't watch one game. I may have watched the finals. That was it. <laughs> Just because I know some of the Russian players that were there. Seven years it's taken for this moment to happen, and we still are a work in progress. Yep, that's just great. Like We're just never going to see McDavid suit up for Team Canada other than the World Juniors at this point. Whatever. So we'll keep tabs on that because Gary Bemmon is so delusional. So uh, maybe we should do like a tier list on worst something. Like worst commissioners? (laughs) (laughs) And actually go through everyone. Yeah, just all their embarrassing takes. Yeah, and this was one of them, and that was your What You Say for this week. So thank you, Jason. Thank you, Gary Bettman, for another uh, sp- uh, What You Say. So Spicy Meatball is the next, but I don't think we have one, obviously. I mean, a Spicy Meatball could be Montreal reverse sweeps, but I think we'll hold on off, off of that for the basically the rest of the year because there's really not much. I guess if there's more off-season news we have to talk about, but we'll go through it as soon as the uh, regular season is done. I know we went through it right when we started the playoffs, I believe, but you know, we'll see what came true, what is going to come true, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that's going to be fun to look back on. We've got lots of news to cover in the offseason, especially with the expansion draft, the actual draft, free agency trades. It's going to be nuts. So N10 will give you coverage on all of that, even on the Twitter, Twitter sphere as well. So anything else you have in the pipeline before we end the episode? Anything you have coming out baseball-wise, hockey-wise? So you and I are going to actually start working on a Seattle expansion uh, article and we're going to go through each division and we'll each make our own choice on who we think Seattle is going to take from that team. And like a, like one or a couple of sentences as to why. And then eventually we could kind of recap all of those articles in one podcast episode as well okay. to make it easier for our followers and our viewers uh, for that, because that's going to be fun to do. Yeah. For sure. And then on my side, I have one article coming out soon. I've It's already ready to go, ready to print out on Slack. Seth Jones, trade destination. So we'll see where he ends up because the, he's been in the talks as well. Another right-hand defenseman, Dougie Hamilton's in the talks as well. So a lot of teams should be in on those two guys, especially because they're right-handed and because they're good. So we'll see what happens on there. But we'll give you, I'll give you more trade destinations, whatever I have to do to get out there. And hopefully my prediction is right. So we'll see what happens there. But until then, Montreal Canadiens, Tampa Bay Lightning, Stanley Cup Final. You know, we record next Saturday or Sunday and the series might be over. So we'll see what happens. But mm-hmm. end to end, we'll be back. Next Saturday. Join us then. Woo!